Welcome to Let's Get Writing, the podcast that explores the creative process of writing from books, scripts, plays, and poems to songs and blogs. This series focuses on authors, publishers, and artists. Catherine's guests share their process of writing in all its forms. Listen along to discover personal journeys behind their work, explore options from indie to traditional publishing, and learn tips and secrets to inspire you. Welcome to Let's Get Writing. Hello, hello everyone. Welcome to Let's Get Writing Season 4. I'm your host, Katherine Taylor. Let's Get Writing, if you don't know, is available each week on my Facebook page at Katherine Taylor Media, and the shows are permanently hosted on my YouTube channel at Katherine Taylor TV. And they are also available as podcasts on Podbean or your favorite podcast platform. So never miss another episode. You can subscribe and like and share, and I certainly appreciate that support. Now, my guest today is the author of two novels, which both of which were published in 2021. The first was Supermarket Baby, which was the winner of the 2019 Percy James First Novel Award, and that was published with Flanker Press. And the one we're going to really focus on today is The Degrees of Barley Lick, and that's been published by Running the Goat Books and Broadsides, and it's a young adult novel. And my guest is also mom to five kids, and she's a freelance journalist, columnist, outdoor enthusiast, aspiring amateur naturalist, Hmm, a lot of things to keep her busy. So join me in welcoming to the show, Susan Flanagan. And she should be right here. Hi, Susan. Hello, Catherine. I'm privileged to be on your show twice in one year. You know, it's really fun because I remember it was back in March. And we, did we talked fun. about, yeah, we talked about your first book. And I kept in my mind that this young adult novel was coming and I have not really explored the world of young adult novels. And I thought, I must have her back when it's published. And here we are. I've got my copy. And I'm yes. sure you've got yours right behind you and, and probably several more. I was um, very excited to hold it in my hand last Friday. Oh, yes. Yeah. So we're really, really jumping on this. Well, it's new, everyone. So it is now available. Yes. And yeah, so we're going to hear all about it today. Susan, um, I just have to start by asking you about the title of your book, The Degrees of Barley Lick. Can you, first, when I heard it, I thought, what is this about? So can you just give us a little insight? So the degrees refers to both the degrees of Barley's emotional journey as he ages into or towards adulthood, but it also refers to latitude and longitude because Barley's father has taught him geocaching and how to use a global positioning system. So geography and their place on earth is a very important to Barley and his father. Interesting. I knew there was going to be a lot into this. And as you, you know, go into the book, Barley's experience, loss, and, and, and many different things. Maybe give readers your overview of this story, a little, a little bit of the intrigue. So the, the story is, it's an outdoor adventure story. 
Um, Barley Lick is a 16-year-old boy, and he lives in Cloverdale, British Columbia, which is just to the east of Vancouver. His world is turned upside down when his father dies suddenly of a heart attack. So that happens in December. But previous to that, in October, Barley and his first girlfriend ever have broken up. So his, his world has crumbled. The action starts in June the following year. Barley's just out of high school, out of, well, grade 11. He's working in a pizza shop and he's taken uh, some time off to compete in geocaching contest. So this big contest will determine who is the best geocacher in all of British Columbia and Washington state. So geocaching is an international game of hide and seek where you seek a bucket in the woods, something that looks like this. So this right. is a, an ammo box for ammunition. It's watertight, perfectly tight. All through the woods, all through the world, there are hidden buckets or containers like this. And Barley is one of the best people who can use a global positioning system like this mm -hmm. to find them. So this contest, besides prestige, there are other benefits, but it's mainly the bragging rights. And he is competing against his ex-girlfriend, who he now thinks is just a she-devil. So the inciting incident in the novel is Barley's mother has a new boyfriend who you can imagine he is not fond of. You know, he doesn't want his father's place in the family usurped by this man who's an RCMP officer. And when the contest starts... Barley receives a call. So this is 2006. Cell phones are new. You use them generally for telephones, not mm -hmm. for other things. And he gets a call asking him to step away from the contest to help this RCMP officer, who he dislikes very much, with an investigation that involves global positioning, because Barley is one of the best. And for Barley, it means not having a chance to win the contest that he thought he would do in his father's honor. But worse than that, even, it means that his ex-girlfriend will have a better chance of winning. So that's how the action starts. And Barley makes some very poor choices, as you can imagine. Mm -hmm. He's just learning his place in the world. You know, it's a coming of age novel. So a young adult novel talks about, or young adult doesn't mean that the readership has to be young adult. Young adult means that it's told through the eyes of a teenage protagonist. Mm -hmm. So you see the world through Barley's eyes. And this particular novel is written in close third person, which means you're inside Barley and you're experiencing things that if he experiences them for the first time, so do you through his eyes. Mm -hmm. And so all his emotional turmoil, and his misconceptions and misunderstandings in relationships and his sometimes disrespect towards authority where he's trying to come to grasp with his father's death, all that comes out. So Barley does things like he takes his father's Corvette, which is uninsured, and gets pulled in for speeding on a highway. Mm -hmm. It doesn't turn out very well for him. And he insults his ex-girlfriend verbally and emotionally, and she punches him in the nose and he deserves it, for example. And when the RCMP officer asks him to help with the investigation, he says no, 
Like, no way. He hangs up on him. But once he learns that the investigation involves a kidnapped child and that some kidnapper has left clues via geocaches, Farley changes and comes around and agrees to help with the investigation. And mm. then there's a larger conflict. Time is ticking on finding the child because the United States government, they are the ones that developed global positioning by triangulating satellite signals to pinpoint a direct or an exact point on Earth, an exact set of coordinates. So it was only May 2000 when the United States government lifted uh, something called selective availability that allowed people like me and you to use one mm -hmm. of these global positioning systems to locate something at its exact coordinates. So in this book, the United States has received a threat and in response to the threat, they have reinstated the scrambling system for signals from the satellites. Oh. And thus, if Farley and the others don't find the clues in time, the boy is in grave danger. Mm, the stakes are rising. Mm -hmm. yes. <laughs> the layers are going. Yeah. And you know, there's so many things in what you just described that I have to go, oh, Susan, Susan, okay, I need to know more about this and more about that. But just while we are talking about the book and how you've how you've written it, and the protagonist being a young, a, a young from the point of view of a young adult, not necessarily the readership, I have to make a comment there because in reading the book and starting to read the book, I was like, this is great. Like I love this. I, I found it such a wonderful book. So I would be one of that adult market that totally enjoys reading from the perspective of a young adult. And, and and what they feel. And who better than you? You have five kids. You must know this world well. I actually wrote this uh, 15 plus years ago. It took about three years to write, but we had moved to British Columbia and I had four children at the time. My youngest wasn't yet in this world, but uh, we were heavily into geocaching. It was 2004. So geocaching started in May, 2000 by 2001, I was hiding my own geocaches. We were actively searching for geocaches as a family. And so when we relocated from St. John's to British Columbia, that passion continued. And a lot of the story came out of that. So I had to leave my work in St. John's behind. We moved for my husband's job. So while mm -hmm. I was out there, I wrote this novel. You know, and I knew that from our former interview that that this had percolated back at that time. But it's it's extremely relevant and interesting now. And, you know, I knew nothing. There's not many things these days in the world that we know nothing about because of the nature of sharing. But geocaching was totally new to me. I have no idea about it. And it I'm not sure. so much fun. Well, there may be other people who have not a clue about it. So when you sent me this photo, I'm going to show it in the stream and said, and this is outside of Grand Falls, Windsor, which folks, this is where I am. And Susan is in St. John's, Newfoundland. We're both on that big island in the North Atlantic that you want to visit. Beautiful place. Anyway, this is outside of our area. Inside, inside, that's or, inside Grand oh, Inside, Hall. okay, even yeah. my terminology. All right, so talk about it a little bit. I mean, so I can't believe There this. are over 3 million hidden containers worldwide. So most people, 
geocaching community calls them muggles to uh, steal the term from Harry Potter and JK Rowling. Most people are wandering around not knowing these buckets are there, but everywhere when you walk through the woods, they are there. So things that you could find, there are little dog tags. These are called travelers. And this is a geo coin. This is one of the things that they have defined in the contest in the book. These travel from one bucket to another and you can track their progress. So this book is set in 2006 and there is a bust of Colonel Saunders that they are hoping will make it into space. Since then, a geocache has made it into space. So it's a very exciting, very exciting thing. So the premise is you use your GPS, you go to geocaching.com, you log in, create an account, and then you can plug in your area. It will bring up a map. So when I plug in my house, mm -hmm. there are thousands around my house in St. John's. And I can just choose one and go find it on my own out for a walk. I can make a day adventure of it. You know, there are 360 on the East Coast Trail, more than that. And it, it's just so much fun. So when you find the bucket, you sign a little book to say you've been there and thank you. You usually say thanks for the cash, uh, TFTC. Mm -hmm. And you can take out a trinket as long as you put one back in. So here are some of the trinkets that appear in the book. So that's a Kinder Surprise toy, a little mm -hmm. rabbit, but ooh, there's a whole colony of them behind me on the shelf. So one of the caches is called Kinder Cache. And it, a lot of the caches do really exist in life in BC. Um, so Barley finds one bucket totally full of Kinder Surprise toys. It's for its toys. Interesting. So all of this is built into the story. And I just can't believe it. When I looked at that area around Grand Falls, Windsor, I've been walking around. <laughs> I had no idea these no. things were there. I As encourage sure you to, others to have no idea. go find one, though. Yeah. The very first one we found, we just looked at the description and found it, and we didn't need a GPS. And the children and me, we were so excited. We were hooked right away. And Excellent. in the book, the geocaches do take on a bit of a sinister turn. So one of them is one of these uh, fake rocks that you hide a key in in your backyard. But Barley doesn't find a key. He finds a human finger. finger. So mm. it's it's um, it's the high end of young adult in some scenes. Of, sure. uh, of course. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, you know, when I was thinking of young and, uh, adult, I was thinking of the Divergent series, which is one that I read all the books. Hunger Games. Hunger Games. Harry Potter starts out as middle grade, but the readers age with the characters and it becomes young adult. But mm -hmm. if you think back to the Judy Bloom books that I read when I was uh, growing up. So I was born in the 60s. I probably would have read them in the 70s. So are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. That's young adult because the things the characters are experiencing are exactly what a young adult trying to forge their way into adulthood are experiencing. Mm, wow. Well, it, you know, I've learned a lot <laughs> already in this interview about things I did not know about. And that young adult... Um, genre is actually growing. It's, it's a very, very robust uh, readership. I looked up a stat actually just mm -hmm. before I came on 
And it said in the first quarter of 2021 over 2020, and this is according to publishing perspectives, I'm not sure exactly who they are, but they say um, young adult purchases are up 60% with 3 million more units sold in the first quarter of this year compared to last year. So they say there are over 30,000 young adult novels published per year. And 55% of those are purchased by adults. And a large percentage of those are purchased for adults to read themselves. Interesting. Well, mm -hmm. we're all learning a lot about this. And it's good to see that it is so robust and they are great stories. And speaking of which, <laughs> I would like to ask you to share a little bit of this story mm -hmm. and write in the show here so people can get a feel for what it's all about. And I'd like to... Um, you, you can preface it and I'll turn the screen over to you and we'll enjoy your reading of your work. I am going to read. It's from the middle of a chapter on page 130. And it is when Barley is with the RCMP officer who he calls Newton. And they are at Cathedral Grove on Vancouver Island where they have spectacularly large old growth forests. So they have come and there are protesters around, but they have to find a cache that has been left there by the kidnapper. This is the very first cache they have to find. Barley followed Newton, jumping out of the helicopter, careful to stay away from the rotors. Two protesters wielding placards that said, save the trees, were busy smashing out the windshield of a Ford F-350 truck, a $50,000 machine. Barley flinched, thinking of the Corvette. He swallowed, are you sure this is a good idea? Just beyond, a more peaceful group sat on colorful blankets around a small totem pole. Others danced to the rhythm of a skin drum, a cloth banner proclaiming First Nations of Vancouver Island swayed behind them, held up on poles cut from dead wood. When a banana peel came flying out of the trees above them, Barley put up his hands to protect his head. Dozens of environmentalists were camped out on platforms built into the canopy of the massive Douglas firs surrounding the parking lot. Some trees had orange slash marks spray painted on their trunks like the fallen western hemlock. Whoa, Newton pulled up the collar of his coat. Stay close to me, Barley, then we'll be all right. Why are they protesting? Barley suddenly felt scared. What was he doing in the middle of a violent protest with this man who threatened to wreck his family? They call themselves friends of Cathedral Grove and they're angry because trees are being cut down to make room for a new parking lot. I wonder how long they've been up there, Barley motioned toward the tree dwellers. Who knows? Newton put his hand up to shade his eyes and scan the trees. Don't worry about them. We'll just do what we came to do and get out of here. Barley discreetly pointed the screen of the Garmin heavenward to take a reading. Maybe you should wait until we're in the trees and out of sight, said Newton. I can't get a reading if there's tree cover. A GPS needs a clear view of the sky to work. Once we're under the branches, we'll have trouble getting a signal. I thought you were using your GPS in a tunnel. Barley shook his head. Why didn't people get it? I used the GPS to get to the tunnel. Then I had to rely on clues to find the cache. Do you have any clues? He asked again. Newton did not answer the question. Instead, he asked a question of his own. Is it far to the coordinates? 580 meters southeast, Barley indicated with one finger towards a path through a thick stand of Sitka spruce. 
That's only half a kilometer, said Newton. Yes, but that's as the crow flies. The GPS doesn't follow trails. If there's a 200-foot-long rock wall in the way, we have to go around, and that distance isn't counted by the GPS. A woman in her 30s with green hair held a painted placard and blocked their way. The placard said, say no to clear-cutting, and had pictures of trees lying dead on the ground. They had arms and legs and faces like people in pain. You are not one of us, she said. What brings you here? Barley's throat was too dry to speak. What are we doing out here, he thought. He had no idea. Newton said, we support your cause. So she let them pass. The woods smelled of rot and cotton candy all at once. Barley was relieved when the needle on the RCMP garment pointed away from the woman with the sign. We're going the right way, he whispered, as they reached another sign reading oldest tree trail. We're down to 387 meters. That's good, said Newton, who did not sound good at all. In fact, he sounded more nervous than Barley felt. They continued walking until they came to a tree stump as wide as two parking spaces. Seven adults stood shoulder to shoulder on top. The stump appeared to have been dragged from somewhere else to block the path, although Barley couldn't imagine how they could have moved it. I am the Lorax, announced the man with a huge walrus mustache glued over his top lip. I speak for the trees, for the trees have no tongues. And the Lorax, this is our old family copy of the Dr. Seuss book, The Lorax, plays a prominent role in the book because one of the themes is saving old growth forests. And another theme is loss as Barley works his way through the stages of grief and finally comes to acceptance. Well, thank you for that, Susan. And, you know, when, when you're, you're talking about the, the setting and the trees and wanting to, to stop clear cutting and all those things, I have to think that that was something that must have strongly impacted you at the time you were living in BC. Uh, those trees are incredible. And uh, I had never seen anything <laughs> anything more majestic in my life and haven't seen it since they um they get into your soul and mm. you, there were always news articles about clear cutting in certain areas and of course sometimes a good burn or a clear cut rejuvenates the forest but there are trees out there that are more than a thousand years old and they mm. it'll be hard to replace those yeah, the, ener the energy and just the majesty. And we have some photographs I'm going to show in the stream and we'll see, well, actually, <laughs> we'll so, start with this one. <laughs> Barley is having a really hard time in the book and his mother perhaps still thinks of him as a younger child. And when he loses his father, he's really torn up inside and he's acting out a bit. And she brings home a great Dane as a, a, a family pet and she thinks that this will solve all the problems and i have to admit that this well this is buddy he's the the real inspiration for stanley in the book and buddy was my neighbor's dog in british columbia and i had never owned a dog in my life but uh, they asked us to take care of buddy several times for up to two weeks at a time and having never owned a dog, it was a real adventure. So he ended up a, a very prominent character in the book. Well, a dog the size of this, a great team. Yeah, so it's it something like that Barley had asked for as a young child, but the yeah. mother ended up bringing it when he was 16. Oh, so. my. 
And here we get a look at those magnificent trees and some members of your family, your children. Yes, we had, I had four young children at the time. I now have five and um, these four are all adults and moved on in life. So I just have the one at home, but oh. they did a lot of geocaching. They were good sports, always, uh, no one protested. Yeah. And, and when you are going see... out to find a bucket in the woods. Yeah. Really. And, and when you look at the geography of these trees as compared to Newfoundland, where we're windswept and if our trees sometimes manage to make four feet or even exist at all, it's such a different feeling when you walk amongst trees like that. And I can imagine, you know, I can imagine barley going in there. And So in the book, the, mm -hmm. the kidnapped boy is nine years old and there's a prologue at the beginning that shows what happens to him. Because although it's a story of a kidnapping and a sick geocacher who leaves caches with clues to find the kidnapped boy, the story is more Barley's story. But mm -hmm. um, those, the, the father of the boy is a logging magnet in British Columbia. So he has been clear cutting and his, his company has been responsible for a lot of the removal of the old growth forests. And so I wanted to explore, this is a man who has lost his son and Barley, who has lost his father is the one who is helping find the son. So interesting. Mm -hmm. And Susan, you, you open the book with a, a prologue and it really jumps us into the middle of the action. What was your thinking there? So that's, that's what I just mentioned. So the prologue is the story of the kidnapped boy. So that's um, every now and then maybe, every 30 to 50 pages, you'll get a short chapter that shows what he's experiencing. And although the story uh, is propelled by events that are happening to him, it's not his story. It's Barley's story and his, um, his growth towards adulthood. Throughout. And finally, Susan, we're getting close to the end of our time together, but very quickly, you're still involved with uh, the Writers Alliance of Newfoundland and Labrador. Yes. Some exciting things still happening there, and you volunteer your time. Uh, would you like to just fill us in on what's I've happening? I've never, never met a harder group of working volunteers and the two paid office staff, too. They are so hardworking, and they get so much done. They offer programming to people in all stages of their writing careers in Newfoundland and Labrador. And the exciting thing this fall is that we are in the process of rebranding to Writers NL, and we're working with uh, Vivid Design to uh, come up with a new logo for mm -hmm. Writers NL so that people in the community will more readily understand what we do. Mm -hmm. So when you say WANL, Writers Alliance of Newfoundland and Labrador, people go, what? Yeah. But if you say Writers NL, I think it will click more and we're more aligned with Arts NL, Music NL. And people will, will now know that they can join our organization and get help through and support through all stages of their writing uh, careers. Yeah. That's a great rebranding. I, I love it. And obviously that's going to have to be an interview. We'll have to get someone on oh, yes. when that's already keep, keep that in mind for sure. Yeah. And Susan, uh, you, you always have discussion questions at the end of your book and you're, you're a member of a book club, the Red Hots. And just as we wrap, um, how important are those to you, those questions and, and your, and book clubs? 
Oh, book clubs. I welcome any book club to contact me if they would like me to come talk about either of my books. But there are discussion questions in the back of both books. It just helps um, helps put questions in people's minds about what they have read. Because sometimes you read a book, you put it down, you don't really think about the themes, but there are always underlying themes. And a book could be quite fluffy, but still has a theme that is a serious thing. So any book clubs, contact me. You can go to susanflanagan.ca and there's a, a box there that you can fill out and I'll get an email and I can visit you in person if um, you know the climate allows or virtually and, and come visit your book club. Wonderful. Well, that's a great invitation, folks out there. If you're watching and you would like to have Susan be part of your event, you know how to do it. And thank you so much, Susan, for your time. I really appreciate it. And I'm uh, very excited to have come along. And um, I just wanted yeah, adults in particular to know that they'll enjoy this book, too. Um, and one of the challenges of writing young adult is getting back to that mindset, because when mm -hmm. we leave our teens, we generally move on. We don't return there. But <laughs> for good it's, it's fun to experience those things again, even the angst and the, oh, you, you think that people are against you or whatever. And ah. um, the dialogue. So I couldn't use teen dialogue from today. I had to remember dialogue from 2006. So that well. was a challenge, making sure <laughs> that the dialogue was authentic to that time. Well, I'm sure folks will enjoy it. And thank you for joining us today on Let's Get Writing. Keep reading, keep supporting your fav favorite authors, and please do keep following us. Have a great day. Thank you, Susan. Thank you for having me. It was fun. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. -bye. Bye.